I will be reading this morning from the ESV book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The living word for God's people. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, really missed out going on a men's retreat this weekend. I was going to see whether I could do it. For those of you who don't know, I was at that Clemson-Notre Dame game last night. <laughs> in the rain. Feet completely soaked. But I was like right behind the bench of the Clemson team. I, was, I had the best tickets I ever had in my life, even when I was in the band. And um, it was a good game, and I got back at 4.30. I'm ready, though. <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be, and um, it's, yeah, yeah. So don't call me today, because I'm going to be sleeping. But uh, We continue in this sermon series in Hebrews. Let me take time to clear up an illustration I used last week in explaining how the recipients of this letter, Jews, rejected Jesus, a Jew, were tempted anyway to reject Jesus, a Jew, and were tempted to reject him as being out of touch with who they were as Christian Jews. And the writer of Hebrews works hard and will continue to drive home the point that Jesus is not just anybody. He is a true brother of you and your cause, that he feels you and he gets you. Now, to illustrate this point, I use the culturally, I would describe as a culturally insulated discussion among African-American voters as to whether they could support Ben Carson just because he was black like they were. And many of you, and how many of them, rather, felt that just because he had the same skin color did not automatically make him a brother. That he might be black, but because of his ultra-conservative viewpoints, which are usually on the other side of most African-American voters, that he was not in touch with his own people. But let me assure you, this was not a political statement by me. And truly not an indication or slick, underhanded way of letting you know how I personally felt 
or feel about him as a person or candidate. I am sure some of you were happy about and agreed with the observation, while others felt like it was a demeaning, negative light cast on Dr. Ben Carson, whom you may highly respect and even hold him as a brother in the Lord who you think is a top-notch guy and possibly a good candidate. Now, let me let guys let you know, and you've heard my sermons before. I've done what I can to stay away from politics in the pulpit, but when you use politics as an illustration especially during candidate season, you can kind of get twisted. Words can get twisted. I apologize for not using this illustration with more clarity and explanation. And with that, in like manner, like we see today, when it comes to human leaders and heroes, we take them to heart. We take their good influence in our lives seriously. And we don't want anyone demeaning or misusing their name. And one such name in the Bible among Jews and even held up by God among humans in divine history is the name Moses. Moses, the Old Testament Martin Luther King Jr. and Harriet Tubman in one. And no one, right? I mean, no one among the Hebrews was allowed to misuse or flippantly refer to Moses. He was a spiritual and ethnic hero to the Jews, so much so that many people began to look back at what he had done, apparently, and what God had accomplished through him and begun to think, hmm, was what Moses did for us not enough? For us to go back to just being regular old Jews? Did he not lead us into right relationship with God and out of slavery? Was he not a good representative of the Hebrew race? And the writer of Hebrews takes a real risk in bringing redemptive biblical politics into the discussion. He invokes the name of Moses. And with it, all sorts of feelings and emotions and beliefs and heritages and hopes along with it. In bringing up the name of Moses, he pulled on the heartstrings of God-fearing Jews who were in the church or community that received this letter. And this is what he had to say and teach and lead them. And now you and me and bringing up the name Moses and what could have been a holy political disaster. As soon as they read the first three chapters, when he mentioned Moses, they would have put down the letter. But let me tell you what he said. He says this, that simply put, Jesus supersedes Moses. Jesus is better. And goes on to say that guess what? Moses knew he was better too. Moses had his good part, but it was just a part because, first of all, Jesus is sufficient. Secondly, Jesus is superior. And finally, Jesus is saving. He is sufficient for our relationship with God, superior than all other relationships with God, and is saving our relationship with God. Let us pray before we go on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for great servants like Moses too. But help us recognize today what it is that we need to know better like Moses did. 
This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether it's sports or politics or entertainment or art or business or, or, or technology, people constantly laud and approve and accept people through historical hero name dropping, right? I mean, think about it, what it means, right, for someone to say he's the next Joe Montana or he is the next Ronald Reagan, or the next Denzel Washington, or the next Michael Jackson, or the next Steve Jobs, or the next Albert Einstein, the next Gandhi, or, or Martin Luther King Jr. And when people start name-dropping the greats, they are making the point that the person has yet to prove they are better than, but at very least, they are a leader, right? They're a great hope that is in the same ballpark, that they remind us in some way of the great person. The writer of Hebrews, in an attempt to lift Jesus, starts with what I would describe as a zero-entry approach by implying that Jesus is at least the next or the new Moses. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, consider him, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. He is saying those who, who came to God through Christ, right, that, that Jesus is just as sufficient as Moses was in bringing, when he brought Israelites and Jews in relationship with God, that just like Moses was a representative of God, telling us what God says, right, it, it, just like as a go-between, a, a media, mediator, Jesus was sent to, to be a sufficient representative of God, to be the face and voice of God for us, and then be our face before God, to be our representative, the one who stands for us, our go-between and, and be-between man and God mediator. Jesus, he's saying, has proven to be the new Moses and as sufficient as Moses was in being used by God to make you people of God, the brothers and sisters in God's family. What does this mean for you and me in here? Many. Well, let me say most of you are in the family of God because you have experienced God through Jesus Christ. You believe Jesus took your sins before God, standing on your behalf, and then brought you grace and mercy back from the cross, from God. It is simple, people. Jesus is sufficient and was made sufficient to make you who are and would be brothers and sisters in his family. Which means this, any and everyone in the Bible, right? All these miraculous and incredible leaders, some of you heard about in Sunday school that help you see and, and learn about God and, and even up to now, right? Whoever did anything or, and everything, right, to teach and tell you about the divine God that could have helped you be in and understand a relationship with God, even mama, even daddy, even the pastor, and that holy loving person you know, Jesus did and does and is enough and sufficient to all and every one of them you could have experienced. He is enough. 
Even if you never, here's good news for some of us, because some of us are in this boat, right? Even if you never had the best discipleship or godly examples or leading in your family, maybe you didn't come from a covenant family background. Know this, you just having him as your presentation of God and going to you, going to God for you is sufficient. It is sufficient and enough to give you, get this, full confidence that you are truly and surely a child of God and brothers and sisters in the Lord. But the writer of Hebrews does not stop there. He obviously wants to cause more trouble. He doesn't think sufficient or enough is enough. He doesn't think it's sufficient enough for Jesus to just be sufficient. He shakes some, shakes some Jewish Hebraic believers by invoking in the name of Moses by declaring, Jesus is not just sufficient, right? He is superior to Moses and what Moses did and what Moses represented. On the way to school the other morning, we almost didn't start out too good. I carpool, we carpool, and I got a, my boys and a couple other boys from the neighborhood, we carpool together. I'm a pretty good carpool guy. Carpool with the pastor, you get the devotion too. <laughs> so we do devotion in the morning, everybody reads. I got it on a little, my phone, everybody reads it. I read it, then I preach. <laughs> and they go to school, filled up ready to go. Sometimes I'm surprised how God wants to speak to these boys. Because I'm like, Lord, I ain't did that good on Sunday. Maybe I should just preach that. And it's only like five, ten minutes long. But one of the boys almost messed up on the way to school before I started the daily devotional with my, you know, Clark had the old school rap channel on XM going. And on came public enemies, fight the power. With Chuck D and Flavor Flav, Flavor Flav when he was a rap artist and not one of them personalities on TV. And I was rapping along with it, pumping my fist, pipe power, right? And to just give you an age perspective between me and the boys and this song, the first line in fight the power is 1989, another summer, right? Let me stop right there. And one of the boys in my carpool, born in 2002, <laughs> said this about that hallmark, 1989, my first year of college, feeling black and conscious and all free and coming into my own as a freshman. He said, you know what? That's rap before rap was good. He wasn't smiling. He was really confident, 2002. <laughs> you just got here. It's easy to send you back. <laughs> and I almost wrecked, opened up my automatic sliding door to the minivan, almost unhooked his seatbelt and put him out. He kept going. He was talking about, yeah, y'all had those kind of rappers, but we got Drake. 
look, I'm not trying to turn this into a rap discussion. Chuck D, Drake? Not even close. Chuck D is Drake's daddy, okay? Drake's just a boy next to Chuck D. He don't need no special machine to sound right. I better stop right there. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has much, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. When the writer of Hebrews declares this in Hebrews, he is saying to people who believe Moses is the Chuck D of the Bible is saying that Chuck D has to take a backseat inferior spot to the one that could easily be perceived as the Drake, the come-lately cross-bearing, newly popular prophet Jesus. So they stopped when he said better than Moses. To give a reason for his claim, though, the writer of Hebrews uses, well, I'm going to switch up on y'all. Like a divine Downton Abbey illustration. You know the show. Well, you should, because I love it and it's good. It's an acceptable soap opera for me to watch. Can't wait till next week to see who falls in love. Okay, anyway. You know that show about the rich British aristocrats living in a constant vacation. At home in this big mansion, all the time, kind of life, walking around, drinking tea, getting dressed up, having parties, and trying to figure out who is going to marry who and what that will do to their pedigree and wealth. That show. The writer of Hebrews is saying that y'all got it twisted. Moses was the Carson. Y'all know who Carson is? On the show, he's the character who is the head servant and butler of the house. He is saying Moses might be a distinguished, snooty, tuxedo-wearing butler working for and among the social elites, but Jesus is the Lord Grantham, right, of the Bible. He is the Lord of the house. That Moses might have been the head and top servant and opened the door for the guests of the house, but Jesus built the house. He built the wealth. He built the estate. He eternally inherited God's stuff, and not only was he the builder, meaning the one who started the legacy, as a son of God, he is the grand host of the house, while Moses simply opened the door when the Jews got there at Mount Sinai. He let me, and let me tell you what that means in theological terms. Moses was an example Like the head butler, right? Might be in a crisp tuxedo and righteous dress in the way he talks and even able to hang out in the room with the homeowners. He might have been an example or reflection of God's righteousness, but he was not what Jesus as the son of God on earth was. The very in the flesh righteousness of God. Jesus is superior to Moses and that he was more than an example of righteousness. In other words, Moses was used by God to show people how they should act and live as holy before God. Jesus not only did this, but he was and performed the act 
act of righteousness necessary for you and me to actually be children of God and to in turn be servants of God. And here's where so many people get Jesus mixed up with good people and good servants of God. Jesus is not just saying, follow my example of how to live and be righteous as children of God. You know, we can open the Bible and say, look what Jesus did. We got the WWJD. That's great. That's a good start. But you're only doing as much as Moses did. And it's not enough. Jesus, again, is not just saying, follow my example, how to live and be righteous as children of God. He is saying, come be made children of God. Don't earn being children of God. Be made one because I am giving you righteousness I've already bought for you that you could not afford or weren't holy enough to get for yourself. Moses showed the way to be with God like a good ser servant. But Jesus is the way. Moses might have been faithful to tell the truth about God, but Jesus is the truth of God. Moses and the law he, might, he gave might have brought us to God, but Jesus bought us for God. Like a good servant of God's house, Moses might have shown us when we look at the scripture, the first five books of the Bible and all the things he wrote and all the laws that, that we're supposed to follow. Yes, he might have shown us where to sit and stand before God, but Jesus actually made a place for us to stand and sit before and with God. Some of us, are sitting here like many of your friends and family and neighbors and co-workers at work and you've made Jesus a Moses or you've made Jesus be out be a Mother Teresa or Billy Graham only like he was a good man who we could follow no that would make him a doorkeeper in the house of God when he is also the son of God the prince of peace king of righteousness in the house and it is his invitation and work that gets us in the house and makes us a part of the house heck there would be no place for Moses to point or show if Jesus had not built the house first if Jesus had not built and made a way for us to be all up with God and right resting relationship so thank you Moses for showing the way to righteousness but praise be to God that Jesus was and became our righteousness well most of us in here are not Jewish and so I doubt we have a lot of Moses worship and fandom going on but we do have Moses-like worship and fandom going on. How is this? If you think you can serve and work or follow a godly example or do all the right things in the law and be good enough and open up doors of love for people 
or give enough good things to people from God or or for God to then think after you have done all these good things that would make you good or right to sit down and be God's child? You are fooling and making a fool of yourself and trying to make God one too because the Bible teaches no human, not bad, not nice, not moral, not peaceful or loving will enter or glory in his presence just because they have earned it or acting like a believer or a good Christian or a good person or being like mama or daddy or or Martin Luther King Jr. or the world's hero and servant and and going to Africa and helping the worst worst countries and adopting all the world's children and taking in and helping all the world's refugees and not stealing and lying and, and being just and merciful and following basically all of the Ten Commandments, the most perfect servant cannot be or do enough. It is by Jesus's performance and work alone, making us a place for us by grace and making us righteous before God by taking our sins away that will make us not just God's house guests and servants, but residents and citizens and children of God's gracious and awesome kingdom. You're in. Because, not because you are good, Not because you're just as good as Moses, but because Jesus has been superior in righteousness and love for you. You see, Moses even knew better, right? Look at verse 5 with me. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To do what? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. What things? What things? The gospel. That God would come in the flesh and he would save us. Moses knew better. He knew not to front as God or the Savior. He knew better than to play God and play final mediator and to trip about being the son of God. He knew better than to think he was all of that as in all of who you needed to be or, or needed to be like to find rest and comfort in God's house and relationship with his people. Moses confidently, yeah, he was a good servant, but he confidently pointed the way and gave the law of God because he knew better. He knew that the law and trying to follow the law was never good enough to save, but he knew that the law would point to the better that he knew. He knew that someone and something better than a law that could not save us would have to come and finally save us. Do you and I know better? Do you really know better than yourself? Trying to save yourself. Trying to be good enough. Trying to be, do all the right things enough to kind of feel like your head's kept above water and that makes God love you and see you. Do you know better than your good works? Do you know better than being right all the time? Do you know better than walking around trying to be a holy roller do-gooder? If you don't know better, God's got the best for you in his son, Jesus Christ. It's time to give it up. Something to give up trying to be Moses or you 
else. And it's time to give your relationship over to Christ and his righteousness and his grace and his glory and his work. It's time to do it today. But don't get it completely twisted here. The writer of Hebrews is not saying that you shouldn't seek and try to live better or good or grow in your Christian life. On the contrary, look at verse 6 here. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are in his house if indeed, hear this, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The Bible appears to kind of go a little Disney or what's the word, anthropomorphic on us in this verse because it looks like he is saying we, God's people, become the house. That would be consistent with the Bible. In other places where it says God's people are the temple of the living God, that his people are living stones built together by Jesus, who's the chief cornerstone. But I'm going to go out on a limb here to expand on that. Yes, the living house thing is true too. But like you might be able to tell, okay, again, back to Downton Abbey for a minute. Just, just take yourself back to the 19th century, okay? If you can. I can't. But let's try. And about these 19th and 20th century, early 20th century aristocrats, but, but on that show in history, they, and, and in history, they have a way of talking about you and your heritage and pedigree, right? So when you would enter a ball or dinner or something like that, they would introduce you, right? Here he is, Sir Howard Brown, from and of the House of Brown. We do that today. They'd be like, man, please, you're from 3335 Arklow. You ain't, you ain't, sit down, man. But announcing your house was about announcing your family household. Your house was your family. And with it, your family story and your heritage and your pedigree and your faith and your fathers and your sons and your brothers and your sisters and all the great things that that house was built on and built by. I believe Hebrews is saying Jesus built a house out of people like you and me. That he built a new heritage and legacy and hope and inheritance and pedigree. And he adds to his house or household from the beginning to now to people like people in this room. You believers are of the house of God, the household of God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that we are not called to live and act holy as if Moses was ahead of the house. But it is more crucial and critical than that. We should live and act with confidence and holiness because Jesus is the head of the house. And that changes and should change everything because Jesus is the builder. That means he called us into the household and not anyone less, not even Moses. So we should have that much more encouragement and confidence to live like our Lord Jesus really matters to us that much. You know what the writer is saying? That those who are believers should live the Christian life confidently, which is not the same thing as arrogantly. 
We should live like we actually believe God has made us a holy people through Jesus. That we believe that in Jesus we have become and have everything and more of what we need. That we have sufficient God intervention and power in our life to be and do everything God would call us to be and do. And that we can actually live the life of God with confidence, y'all, and without fear that we will lose our faith because Jesus never loses or loses track of any that are in his household. Translation, hold on to your faith. Live out your faith in this world like you believe Jesus is faithful enough to hold you and keep you in it that you have been given too much in Jesus to give up on the Lord and give in to sin. This is a call to stop running your own life. To stop running your own household by your own rules or just giving Jesus a little peace this time of week or this, this hour of the day. When you became a believer, the house rules changed. And so did you. So now you live by grace. Which means you and I, who know Christ and have been built into his household, his house, are called to freely. And as we have everything, and we do, we need to love and obey and do what God loves and wants. Your Lord is not house poor. You ain't in there with no furniture. Nice looking Christianity. Wow. Isn't this great? Ain't no place to sit. Wow. Christianity. Isn't this beautiful what it looks like on the outside? Look at all these good acting people. Going to church on Sunday. They could be watching NFL Live right now. Look at them. Aren't they beautiful? But I bet ain't no food in the fridge. I bet they house poor, y'all. You know why the world thinks that? Or could think that? Or some of you are thinking that? Because somewhere along the line, you actually believe this is a house that men built. Or men and women, human beings built. Let me remind you what the scripture is saying. This house was built by Christ. And we'll get to the more of this next week. You have a place to rest. You are not house poor. He has enough of everything you need to not walk away from the faith. To not give up hope. To not keep on sinning. He has provided enough in his house for you to repent. To turn back, 
there's room enough in his house. There's grace enough in his house. He is not house poor. The Lord of the house is Jesus by whom all things was made, by which all things find their consummation and hope and power. Your Lord, your Savior, your house leader, your household name is Jesus Christ. And you will never run out of credit. And you will never run out of space. And you will never run out of places to rest. And you will never run out of places to run. And you will never run out of places where he can sit you down and feed your soul. Moses knew better. He knew we were sure to hit a wall of condemnation if we tried to make it on our own. I'm going to close, but I am concerned. Some of you have been run so ragged by this life, by sin and by success. I'm concerned you've lost hope and confidence. We all go through it. We are kind of half-heartedly living the faith, kind of half-holy living, afraid to fail in obeying the Lord, afraid to repent again. This scripture is saying, Hold on to your hope and confidence in Christ. If Moses needed that, you need that grace too. My man Moses was a servant, imperfect, chosen by God to lead some very grumpy people in a very hard world. Moses was counting on this fact. There's got to be a redeemer. There's got to be a savior. I'm holding these 10 commandments. This is great. But as I hold them, I pray to God there's somebody who's going to come to actually fulfill them so we can live in freedom and assurance. Moses knew better. And I'll say after this sermon, so do you. And and so can you. You can repent. You can now come. Come on in. Come get enough and better and best in Christ. Know better. Know the best in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We say with our mouths that Christ is better. But sometimes in our lives, we try to do better on our own power. And now here we are. We've given up. Some of us have lost hope. Some of us are really beginning to wonder, is this Christianity thing even real? anymore. Our Moses-like life has run its course. 
And Lord, I praise you for these people. You have brought many of them to a point where they're finally ready to give up. To give up trying to be holy on their own. Lord, and then on the other side, you have brought these people to a place where they're finally ready to give up living in sin. And thinking God isn't calling them to holiness. Bless your people today. They need to know you're enough. Bless your people today. Holy Spirit, come and blow in their hearts. Blow in their minds. Let them know. Let them feel. Let them experience, God, what it truly means to be in the house of God and have Christ be the builder of their lives. I pray for my people. I pray for this congregation, Lord, please. Help us not to give up. Help us to believe that if we come in to Christ, as members of the house, there's space enough for our issues. There's space enough for our mistakes. And his grace is sufficient there for us. I pray for those, Lord, who don't know you right now. Oh, they trying hard to be holy enough. Lord, my prayer is that they would hit the wall. My prayer, Lord, is that they would see condemnation straight in the face. And then, Lord, they would recognize that they need grace. Lord, I ask that you prepare us for this Lord's Supper. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.